0: The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. We'll be finding out how a perfect storm has led to a huge surge in demand for mental health services, doubling waiting times, and preventing some from getting the help they need. We'll also be hearing more about how Al Anon family groups provide support to those affected by someone else's drinking. And Alex Berry from Tandridge District Council will be here to tell us about important changes to the voting process this May. Paul Tolmy finds out from Beth Gardner about a group that's combating isolation and loneliness in Forest Row. Carrie Overton will be talking happiness with laughter yoga teacher Sam Rehan. And Norman Wong will be talking to scientist Phil Brandish about British Science Week. All coming up in this edition. The Association of Mental Health Providers, the national voice for charities providing mental health and wellbeing services in England and Wales, warned last week of a perfect storm. They say the cumulative impact of pandemic and cost of living pressures has led to a huge surge in demand for services, doubling waiting times and leading to nearly two million people unable to access the mental health care they need. To tell us more, I'm joined by Cathy Roberts, Chief Executive of the Association. Cathy, thanks for joining us. Can you start by telling us a bit more about the crisis facing these specialist services?
1: Good morning, Tim. Yes, of course. Um, the um, mental health charity providers provide services to 8 million people in the, in the country, which is one in eight people. And they have seen an increase in demand for those services, as you quite rightly said, 100% uh, waiting time for specialist services, crisis support and 50% increase regarding anxiety, depression, very much focused on the cost of living, which is sort of borne out from the Martin Lewis's Money and Mental Health Policy Institute report, Bombarded, which talked about 50% of people expressing uh, concerns about their mental health, depression, stress and anxiety because of the cost of living and one in six actually considering suicide we also know that um, uh, the NHS, in their annual bulletin, talked about three million people in 2021-22 accessing secondary mental health and disabilities and autism services, which was an increase of 16.2%. So we've seen that the prevalence, national prevalence, increasing of mental health and worsening mental health. We've seen the demand to the, the charity providers increasing, and we've also know that the the mental health um, investment standard is being met but demand is far outstripping supply of resources and finances so this perfect storm of the increase, the increased prevalence the increased demand on the sector and then of course there is funding the sector it's a not-for-profit sector but it needs to meet its costs so some of the contracts that maybe come to the organizations they struggle to get full cost recovery on delivering those services but also we know that there are people waiting for those services and those services are in, in demand. So what we're feeling very strongly is that you need to see the whole system. You need to see the massive importance of the NHS, as with all major conditions around reducing waiting times, children, and young people, talking therapies, safe places, crisis support. But also you have to see the community and people who access access mental health provider charities to help prevent relapse to to actually support them when they're in mental health distress or have mental health challenges and the investment has to has to happen otherwise I'm not sure what the sustainability will be like in the long term.
0: What are some of the effects that members of your association are experiencing then and how is this impacting the communities that they serve?
1: The standard services remains incredibly high and has done and um, um, the example of during the pandemic, where this sector was really there for people when they couldn't gain access to A and E or to their care coordinator, on difficulty very early on on crisis before sort of the crisis lines were set up. So um, they they have continued to deliver really really brilliant services, but it's it's at a cost to themselves as organisations going forward, and we need to make sure that they're resourced appropriately so that they can meet the needs of people and enable people to live the lives they want to live within communities
0: so you've just launched a mental health equality now campaign can you tell us a bit more about what that is and what you're hoping to achieve
1: we're hoping to one around highlight the important role the sector the mental health charity sector has in supporting people within communities And the 8 million is huge and needs to be acknowledged. We need that to be part of the planning going forward, particularly like with the integrated care systems. We want government investment, but we want that to get right to the providers, to the charities so that they can actually deliver the services. And an acknowledgement like with mental health, social care, moving forward on the reform agenda, understanding the the, the importance of the sector we want we want the sector to be sustainable because it's needed and also we've worked very closely with people with lived experience who have really told us about how important the sector is what their life would have been like without that support be it helpline support advice support housing support support if they're part of the criminal justice system uh, it's it's really important that we promote and understand the sector
0: so what if anything is being done at the moment to address some of these issues is there a, a glimmer of hope
1: it's it's difficult to to, to say really we we know that we're able to evidence and evaluate the services we are developing a um, data mapping tool so that local areas can see what is available for them and we ha- we are pushing and advocating for a, a footprint of uh, sector services around that area so people have those access to those services We are using data and intelligence to inform strategy and we're hoping at a local level like the integrated care boards and others will start to have that dialogue with us and with the providers uh, at a strategic level. So data is really important and we're still having those discussions obviously about funding. We understand the health and care system is under extreme financial pressures at the moment, but we're saying, please look at the whole system. This is important for people. We don't want people to to have to rely on additional services or enter the nhs we want them to be supported at home
0: obviously the campaign is there to raise awareness what can individuals do for anyone listening to our chat today what actions can they take
1: they can get more information from our website the association of mental health providers website and they can talk to anybody talk to their local providers people who are who feel that they their life has been supported and helped by the sector it'd be good if they could talk talk to us uh, talk about their experiences um if commissioners are listening talk to your sector get to know your sector talk to your grassroots organizations because the, the charities are quite often the only point of contact for disproportionately affected um organizations or communities disproportionately affected or marginalized so you've got that information from people and trusted people within those communities Uh, there's there's a number of ways people can support it but also i think to to see how the sector can support you with your mental health
0: fantastic kathy thanks so much for your time today and good luck with the campaign thank you very much For more information on the Mental Health Equality Now campaign, visit amhp.org.uk. That's amhp.org.uk. Or you can look out for the M-H Equality Now hashtag on social media. We'll post a link to the website on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Al-Anon family groups are there for anyone whose life is or has been affected by someone else's drinking. Meetings take place in Lingfield, Redhill, Reigate and Crawley each week. To tell us more, I'm joined now by a representative from Al-Anon. Thanks for joining me. Can you start by giving us an overview of what Al-Anon is and what it does?
2: Yeah. Hi, Tim. Thanks so much for having us on. Um, So Al-Anon is uh, really the family and friends side of um, Alcoholics Anonymous. We are a separate entity, but... uh, what we do is we support, um, the family and friends of alcoholics. So there's 700 groups across the UK. And, um, what happens really when somebody is suffering from alcoholism, um, usually they, they, it's, it's really like it can affect the whole family dynamics as, as many people will understand and people around them. I always, I always say like, it's, When somebody's an alcoholic, um, you know, obviously they're suffering with their disease of alcoholism, but it's almost like dropping a pebble in water and and those ripples will will cascade out to family, friends and people around them and have an effect on their life as well and and affect them in ways that they don't actually realise they're being affected and it can help have problems financially with their mental health their spiritual well-being there's so many other things that that can affect them so what Al Anon does is provide support for those um, members of the family and friends that have been affected by by somebody else's drinking and uh, we meet um in um well anonymous groups really and and there's a, a group across the country so there's always one close to everybody in the country and um, you can find out more at The Al Anon website. If you go to Al Anon Family Groups UK and ERA on Google, you'll be able to put in your postcode and find the nearest group to you.
0: Now, I know you can't go into detail about the meetings, but can you give us a broad overview of how they work and the sort of topics that you cover?
2: So, normally people come to us because they're worried about somebody um, close to them that is drinking or have felt you know that they've been affected by um somebody else's um disease of alcoholism and and what what it is is you can come to a face-to-face meeting or a zoom meeting and what tends to happen is that most people come through the doors looking for a solution to their problem drinker they really you know come to find like tools and, and and ways to 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 stop their alcoholic drinking but but what we do in Al-Anon is actually work with the person. So um, we actually try to help them recover from um, the effects of somebody's drinking um, in, in many ways. And, and it's a lot of uh, group therapy. So it's really talking um, about uh, their experience, um, strength and hope really, and, and really you know, opening up about um, how it's affected them. And then obviously listening to other people share, it helps you um, process that and and actually get recovery. And what, you know, unfortunately with alcoholism, it's really up to the alcoholic to um, seek their own recovery. Nobody can do it for them. My dad was uh, my alcoholic and bless him, you know, I dragged him to all sorts of therapy and AA and rehab and you know he did it I think because out of the love for me but he didn't really in his heart want to get that recovery so um you know in the end I just it was driving me crazy and I I thought I've got to do something because I, I felt that my mental health wasn't right you know and uh, so that's when I sort of I started going to actually counselling and I also um went to Al-Anon and in the end I I finished with the counselling and then carried on with the Al-Anon because I just thought um, the Al-Anon really gave me the support because people were like-minded they understood what I was going through and they could uh, help and support me uh, and my life and actually my relationship with my father who still carried on drinking got better even though he was still drinking and my life improved tremendously because actually I took the focus off of the alcoholic and actually I put it on me and I looked after my my own sort of well-being, my mental health and actually improved my situation so that I could cope with it better going forward. And um, yeah, so that that's that's how I ended up in al But yeah, everybody's uh, journey is different.
0: Yeah. As you have said, I guess we tend to focus on the person who has the issue and, and less on the people around them who also need support. Do you work with other organisations and resources then in the field of addiction and recovery?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Al-Anon is, um, as I said, like a sister um, organisation to AA, but we also, um, you know, assist organisations to lots of 12-step recovery programmes out there. I think there's about 30 different 12-step recovery programmes now in the UK Um, ranging from all different you know addictions and um, and also we uh, just recently actually we were doing um, a talk with um, lots of um, uh, recovery uh, centres and um, the police and the NHS really trying to raise awareness of um, the support that's out there for people that have got um, an addict in their life and that the, they can reach out to Al Anon or the other twelve-step programs to get recovery from the, for themselves. So yeah, we would love to speak to anybody who's in, involved in um, alcoholics and, and 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 addiction and that wants to provide or signpost people to uh, services that are available for them. Um, you know, if we can help one person out there uh, get recovery, um, it has a, a, a an effect on their family life so a lot of the things we learn in in life are actually from our parents and they might have learned those from you know having um, being having to cope with with an addiction in the family and actually if we can get good recovery and actually change learned behavior and become more um, able to deal with that it doesn't we don't pass that on to our children as well and so you know hopefully hopefully we're breaking that cycle of addiction you know they say that it's an inherent thing you know to be an addict yes there is that but there's also learned behavior so if we can break that chain and by getting recovery ourselves we don't hand that down to our children we're teaching better behavior uh, better mental health better you know spiritual health going forward so it's a it's a it's a really important thing to reach out to all organizations and help you know, support um, anybody that's on that road of addiction, or and their family and their friends that are around them.
0: Now, obviously, you've got your own personal experience, and you've worked with Al Anon groups as well. What are some of the common misconceptions people have?
2: A lot of people think that when they hear about twelve-step programs, that there's some sort of cult. Um, but it's it's very it's a very common misconception that um, you know they're going to sort of brainwash you or something. But it you know Al, Al- Anon is one of those organisations that actually doesn't want to have members. You know, if there wasn't a problem of alcoholism in in the world, we wouldn't exist. You know, we don't really want to ha- have to be 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 there. Because you know we don't want alcoholism to be in the world, but it is in the world, and so you know um, that we are there to support people that are going through um, having an, an alcoholic uh, loved one in their lives, and then the se- the second mixed conception is the word God, because. When Alanon and AA started, it was it was nearly a hundred years ago. And um, it started um, with this I this, this notion of, of God as I suppose a, a Christian sort of uh, concept. But you know, times have changed. We're open to everybody, whether you believe in God or not. We we are not a Christian organization. So when you hear the word God, it's actually re- relating now to to more of a spiritual sort of feeling. Uh, so it's more of an agnostic sort of feeling rather than um you know a christian god sort of uh situation so yeah that's the other misconception it's not um we've have you know we have people that are um atheist in in Alanon, and we talk about the higher power but that is really a a spiritual feeling, you know, of, of being connected as one in, a, in as a human race, really.
0: Now, there may be somebody out there listening to us today who has a friend or relative struggling with alcoholism. If they're hesitant or unsure about coming along to one of your meetings, what would you say to encourage them?
2: Well, I mean, Al-Anon is completely anonymous, so you can come with, you know, no worry of or shame or anything about, you know, being, um, you know, you can come privately uh, to a meeting. We have meetings face-to-face uh, locally, so we have meetings in Lingfield on a Tuesday night at the Lingfield Community Centre from 8 till 9.30. There's also a meeting in Crawley in Pound Hill, um, again, from 8 till 9.30 on a Thursday night, there's also meetings in uh, Reigate on a Thursday night and Red Hill on a Monday morning. Or there's also opportunity to do a Zoom meeting as well. So all of these uh, meetings, again, can be found on the Al-Anon website, which is Al-Anon Family Groups uh, UK and ERA. And um, there's also a, a confidential um, helpline number as well. You can call and you can speak to somebody if you don't want to come to a group, but you'd like to find out a little bit more. Um, you can speak to somebody on on the telephone, and and um, they can signpost you to um, a meeting or give you a little bit more advice about how you can
0: do it. Is there any charge at all for attending the meetings, and can people simply just turn up?
2: No, Al Anon is completely free to attend. It's um, we. We do obviously have to pay for um, the room rent and things like that. So we ask for voluntary contributions, but yeah if you if if somebody doesn't if, can't afford to pay, obviously, you know we are there to support you. So come, you know it's free, um just turn up. and um, we usually say try uh, our meetings for about maybe the, the first three, six meetings. See if you um, are getting, you know, anything from it. You don't have to say anything. You can just listen. But, but what tends to happen is people do, after six meetings, continue and start to feel the effects of recovery. And, um, yeah, no, that's wonderful.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today and telling us more about Al-Anon and for sharing your own personal experiences as well.
2: Thanks, Tim. Great to be here.
0: If your life's been affected by someone else's drinking, you can get help and advice from the Al-Anon website at al-anonuk.org.uk. That's al-anonuk.org.uk. Or you can call their free phone number on 0800 0086 811. That's 0800 0086 811. Local groups run at the Lingfield and Dormansland Community Centre on Tuesdays at 8pm and St Barnabas Church Cafe on Worth Road in Crawley on Thursdays at 8pm. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Thursday, the 4th of May, there are a number of district and parish council elections taking place. However, for those voting in person, there are some important changes that you need to be aware of. To tell us more, I'm joined by Alex Berry, Democratic and Electoral Services Manager at Tandridge District Council. Alex, thanks for joining me. Now, the biggest change is the need to bring a form of identification in order to vote. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, no, thanks
3: for having me, Tim. Um, so, as you mentioned, a local elections on the 4th of May and the change to um, the voting process at the polling station. So, simply, anyone who would like to cast their votes um, at the polling station will need to provide a specific type of photo ID. Um, this is obviously a new requirement for us, and um, the government have recently introduced it. So what forms of ID will be acceptable on the day? So there's a, there's a whole range of different ID that people can provide. Uh, the most common ones that um, we expect voters to have to hand will be a, a passport um, or their driving licence or blue badge. There are a few other options as well, in, including older person's bus pass, a freedom pass or a disabled uh, person's bus pass as well. So there's a few, few different options that are available for people.
0: So just to be clear, if you've got any other kind of official ID but there's no photo on it, will that be acceptable?
3: No, it does need to have a photo um, on it. That is a requirement. So if any of those documents don't have photo ID, then unfortunately they won't be accepted by our polling station staff.
0: And am I right in thinking that you need to bring the original document with you? You can't bring a copy or something like that? Yeah, it needs to be the originals, can't
3: be a photocopy and um, can't be a photo taken on a phone, for example. The ID doesn't need to be in date. It can be, for example, an expired passport. As long as the photo has got a reasonable likeness to the to the person, then can be um, that can be used as well.
0: So if you don't currently have any of these photo IDs, is there anything else you can do to make sure that you do have some kind of identification to be able to vote on the day?
3: There are a couple of things you can do Um, the government have set up a process where you can apply for um, what's called a voter authority certificate Um, and you can do that on the government's portal and basically that allows you um, to submit an application for the certificates you'll need to include um, some of your personal details and a photo as well and the government will send you a, a certificate a voter authority certificate which is accepted form of um, voter ID. So once you've applied for that and received that through the post, you will be able to take that to the polling station and, and, and vote. If you um, are still not sure whether you would like to do that, there is an option of applying to vote by post. And that option has existed for quite a few years now. Um, and that means you won't have to provide a form of ID. You will need to submit a, a post vote application form though. And that will include your signature and date of birth on it. And once you receive your uh, postal ballot papers through the post, you'll need to provide your signature and date of birth exactly as they appear on the application form and return your postal votes in that way.
0: And if you are interested in either of those options, is there a deadline for applications? There there are, yes. So the deadline
3: for postal vote applications is five o'clock on the 18th of April. And the deadline for applying for voter authority certificates is uh, also five o'clock, but on the 25th of April.
0: So if somebody does turn up on the day and they don't have any form of photo ID on them, is there any leeway? Uh, Unfortunately not, no. Our
3: polling station staff um, will have to check everyone's ID before they can be issued with a ballot paper. Uh, If someone hasn't got their ID with them, uh, the polling station staff will be able to give uh, that person a list of acceptable ID um, and that person can go and collect their ID and come back and they will be able to to vote without any problems.
0: And how about if you're not currently registered to vote at all, what do you need to do in that instance? So you can register online um, at any
3: point up until the 17th of April uh, for these elections. Um, So if if you go to the government's website, register to vote, and you'll need, again, you'll need to fill in some of your, your personal details, your name, address, date of birth um, and national insurance number and a few, a few other details. Um, and then once you've completed that, um, you'll be able to be added onto the electoral register. Um, and as long as it's done before the 17th of April, you'll be able to vote at the local elections on the 4th of May.
0: And I guess it's important for people to note that this doesn't just apply to Tandridge. This is across the whole of England. That's exactly right.
3: Yes. So this is a, 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 a an England wide scheme. Um, new, new, new for these elections um, and it's not just these elections it's not this isn't a pilot this is a, a permanent change so um, for example at the next general election as long as that's after October this year then um, the requirements for voter ID will apply for that election too.
0: Now not all seats at district and parish councils are up for election this time how will people know if they are eligible to vote in their area? That's right. So in Tandridge, we have 14 district wards that are up for elections,
3: as well as um, a number of uh, parish councils, too. Um, Electors in those areas will be sent a poll card uh, by the end of March, and that will tell them that elections taking place. It will give them uh, information about um, where they can vote and how they are currently set up to vote and what they need to do if they need to make a change to those voting options.
0: So we've talked about quite a bit there. Is there somewhere people can go to get further information on the changes and the upcoming election?
3: There is, yeah. We've got um, the Tendring District Council website um, has got an Elections 2023 webpage on, which has all of this information on. It also has uh, links to the Electoral Commission's websites where, uh, where there's a ho- the whole list of um, acceptable ID that people can bring as well as information about how to apply for a voter authority certificate um, or postal votes.
0: That's great. Alex, thanks so much for your time today and giving us an update on these important changes. Thank you, no problem at all. To find out more about the upcoming changes and the elections in Tandridge, visit tandridge.gov.uk, that's tandridge.gov.uk, and search for elections 2023. There are also more details on the new photo ID requirements and registration processes at the electoralcommission.org.uk. That's electoralcommission.org.uk. We'll post links on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Tuesday, Paul Tolmy was joined by Beth Gardner as he found out more about a group that runs in Forest Row to help combat isolation and loneliness.
4: I mean, Fro Friends was um, set up about 10 years ago Mm. and uh, is very much a community endeavour. We're um, an independent community organisation aiming to reduce, as you mentioned, social isolation Mm. um, in Forest Row and and the surrounding villages, um, especially of the elderly. Um, And, you know, we have a vision for Forest Row where people really feel inspired to commit their time to make a positive difference um, to the life of the village, and that means reaching out to anyone who feels isolated, um, and really work to create a, a more connected community.
5: Mm. Lockdown was a massive um, test for everybody, really. Yeah. I suppose you could say because we were all, you know, everyone was everyone was isolated on their own, couldn't couldn't see people. This is something that's been ongoing for a number of people.
4: I mean, yeah, th- this was happening before lockdown, yeah. and during lockdown we had to switch how we operated the system because we couldn't go into people's Mm. homes. So then it was more of a telephone service. Mm. And we do have some members who still prefer to to just Mm. have a phone call. Um, But the real benefit comes from when someone can go. So a befriender will visit someone in their home, um, ideally once a week, go in for about an hour, have a cup of tea, And then pick up on what that person would like to do. Maybe it's play a game of cards, game of chess, just chat, reminisce. Mm. And it's the opportunity as well for that real intergenerational learning um, that comes um, when you have, you know, that that meeting, that meeting of minds. And uh, Sally and our team goes to a real effort to match the volunteer with the member who needs befriending and find, you know, some compatibility there so they, they really get on.
5: Because you, I suppose it's, 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 a, it's the compatibility of interest, isn't it? Because you want, you want to find the like-minded activities that they can both do, to, that yeah. they're both going to like.
4: Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, a friendship results from that, mm. you know, and, and our members really look forward to that, that weekly visit. Um, and it's not a huge amount of time on the part of the volunteer. Uh, if people are listening and think, oh, I'd really like to do that, it only takes, you know, a couple of hours a week. Um, to go and visit someone um and it makes such a such a difference mm.
5: um, so it's not just home visits that there are that they, they, they can go out and them. i
4: mean the befriending service tends to be home visits okay yeah some of the committee members also organize uh, like a cinema outing yeah or a lunch club outing mm. um and that's for our members who are maybe a little bit more mobile um, but some of our members, they are stuck at home. So they, yeah. really, they really relish that mm. um, and look forward to that. Because I suppose home they, visit. Don't, they don't
5: see anybody from when the sun goes up to it comes down again. Ex-
4: exactly, yeah. exactly. And, um, and often, you know, these are people whose family members, you know, don't live in the same village. They can't pop in no. as regularly. Um, so, you know, we're also always on the lookout for, you know, people who are stuck at home who, who would welcome a befriender. Mm. Sometimes it's quite hard to find them. We're reliant. Sometimes it's a GP that will refer them, or the district nurse. Sometimes it's a family member. Um, so we're always keen to hear from people, you know, who would who would welcome a befriender. Yeah. All we ask is that um, if you know somebody who would benefit, have a chat to them first, seek their consent before putting their details forward. Um, mm. We don't like our phone call to be a, to be a surprise. Um, but if anyone listening knows someone who'd benefit from a mm. befriender, just ask them to email us it's at, yeah um, and friends at gmail.com one of the team will pick that up and it would probably be sally that would, mm. would give you a call back
5: so take us through the process then so some so somebody comes to you saying i'd like to i'd like to volunteer as a befriender
4: mm-hmm. so um if someone's looking someone's got a couple of hours a week spare mm. and they'd like to to volunteer um same email address we'd mm-hmm. ask you just to drop us an email very friends at com, and um, it would be Sally again would give you a call, have a chat, explain in a lot more detail than I can go into about um, about how we operate yeah. um, and what's involved. And if you like the sound of it, then there would be a DBS check and um, some simple, simple training as well. And we do regular training too for our volunteers on things like safeguarding and, you know, best ways to help people up and, yeah. you know, um, and. Then Sally would do their matchmaking process that I talked about Mm. um, and find, I know we've right now got a waiting list of people looking for a befriender. So she'd look at who's waiting and try and match you up. And then you would go in for a trial session with them. So it would be very much a trial for both of you um, to see if you get on. And after that trial, Sally would say to both of you, how did you feel? And if both parties are like, yeah, that was great. Then you'd set up a, a, a regular day when you'd pop in, mm. regular day and time.
5: Um, but that's not it's not a fixed day. It can it can be it could it flex. Vary. Yeah, yeah
4: it, it, it could flex. But I think it's quite nice to have a bit of a routine there yeah. and something for the person, the member, to look forward to. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah.
5: So um, so people come to you as a as a volunteer, but then so the, the befriending service they can also be they can also be referred in for.
4: Um, I mean, there is um. We do have partnerships with the, the local GP sir, yeah. um, surgery. So if we hear about people, we can hear about people that way as well.
5: Mm. Yeah. You you also um you, you mentioned your cinema and lunch club, that yeah. must be very rewarding for everyone involved because it means that the other befrienders can be other befrienders.
4: Um, well it tends to be the, the members yeah. that do it. So mm. um not not the befrienders, you're the the volunteers. Um, but we will help with the committee members tend to help with. Um, travel arrangements there, and, yeah. and taking people to to the cinema. We go to east, Grin- east Grin- to do like a silver screen. Um, oh, yeah. session, screen, so yeah. um, which uh, is is good value as well um, and help them with the transport down. Um, and similarly lunch club, pick a restaurant and uh, take a few members out uh, for for lunch um, and try and get like a good deal with that restaurant. No. such
5: a wonderful idea because you, you you think that, I mean, I would hate to be just stuck indoors on my own all day. <laughs> it's the awareness as well, isn't mm. it, knowing that you guys are there and, and that there is something there that can help people.
4: Exactly. And we are a small group and it's all volunteer run. Mm. So, you know, we, we don't have huge amounts of, of funding. Um, we do get some funding from Sussex Community Foundation, Gatwick Airport Community Trust and the National Lottery Community Fund. Um, and... One of the things that we do sort of regular times of the year is drop bags round to all of our members with some goodies in there, Mm. Um, whether that's like some, you know, some bath gel and some... At Christmas it was some mince pies. The co-op gave us some mince pies and things, and they get this nice little goodie bag. um, And we have a chat on the doorstep, and again, it's, you know, it's really lovely.
5: If people want to volunteer as part, not necessarily as a befriender, but as part of your committee you're looking for new members there as well
4: yes i mean we've got uh four local people on the committee currently and um we've got the agm coming up in june Mm. and at that point you know we're always we'll do a call out for new committee members if someone's interested we're keen to improve the diversity of our committee board and um you know things range from organizing events um doing sort of recruitment activities to to bring in new volunteers, Mm. things like this that I'm doing now. Um, And we meet probably every couple of months Mm. um, just to keep the organisation running. And then we do the delivery of the gift bags a couple of times a year as well, which, again, is a a really nice activity to Mm. do.
5: So you have the fundraise as well, so...
4: Well, the fundraising, yes. I mean, we're always on the lookout for other grants and things that we can apply for. Um, And recently we were... Really excited to be chosen as one of the co-op's community partners. Mm. So if people shop in co-op, they may be aware of this, that the co-op give two pence in every pound to their community partners. And if people are within the vicinity of... Well, actually, I think even if they're in Sussex, they can select Fro Friends as their community partner, either on the website or on the co-op app. Mm. And then all of the money that goes from the amount you spend in the shop, goes to Fro Friends. Hmm. Um, Two
5: pence in a pound doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's when it mounts when it up, adds it's, up, it's... Yeah.
4: Yes, it, it does add up. And um, it's running for the whole year. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're really hopeful that we'll get um, a good amount of money there. We've got a goal to reach everyone in Forest Row who would benefit mm. from a Befriender. And the money we get from the cult Partnership will, will help us do that and actually... It helps put us on the map and helps get yeah. the word out there.
5: And oh, we should say um, as well, that's not just Forest Row. That's any co-op.
4: Any Well, any co-op. I think you have to be within a certain catchment area okay. of Forest Row, but it doesn't have to be the yeah. Forest Row co-op. So any other co-op in Sussex, you should be able to select for yeah. friends um, as your community um, chosen community cause. Mm. Um, and people can do that in the app just by clicking community and then scrolling down, finding for friends. Yeah. Um, no. So, yes, if people shop at the co-op, I'd really, really encourage them to mm. um, to have a look and, and select us because every, literally, you know, um, every pound helps and we, we really stretch that. We don't get yeah. a huge amount of funding. No. Um, and we will, me and a couple of my committee members will be outside the co-op in Forest Row next Monday okay. morning from cool. about 9 to 1130 30. Chatting so to people about... So if you've
5: listened to us and you want to find out more, pop along. If you want to along. find out
4: more, pop along. We can talk to you in more detail about it. Um, we'll be outside there talking about through friends and also promoting the, the partnership, the co-op.
5: Brilliant, so, okay. Have you had any big like um, success stories?
4: We, we've we had lovely stories from relatives yeah. who have talked to us about the impact of having a regular befender mm. has had on their loved ones and how it really has enriched their lives. Um, and, and I suppose it
5: takes the pressure off them as well
4: yeah it takes the pressure off yeah. them and they they get to know the befriender too yeah. and so there's almost like that second person who they can check in with mm. and who can alert them if there's any changes in their relative um, so it becomes a real sort of three way partnership yeah. actually um, so it really improves the quality of life of, of of the member who's having the visits and I have to say enriches the life of of the volunteer as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the success stories are on but bo- on both sides actually. Um, and many of our volunteers have been visiting the same person for a number of years yeah. and become, you know, become good friends. Mm.
0: Beth Gardner talking there too, Paul Tolney. If you're interested in volunteering as a befriender or you'd like to find out more about how you can benefit from having some company through Fro Friends visit frofriends.co.uk, that's F-R-O-W, friends.co.uk. Or you can email frofriends at gmail.com, that's frofriends at gmail.com. The group will also be at the co-op in Forest Road tomorrow, Monday the 21st of March, from 9am until 11.30am if you'd like to speak to them in person. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Tuesday's Wellbeing Weekly, Carrie Overton was talking happiness with laughter yoga teacher, consultant and author Sam Rehan.
6: I'm really all about wellbeing, so I call myself a wellness professional, supporting, you know, whether you're an individual, you're a workplace, charities and communities. Fantastic. So what brought you
7: into the happiness business
6: Uh great question so growing up um, I love science so I ended up doing a science degree and I did something called biotechnology which is all about growing up cells and doing fermentation and genetics always had an interest in anatomy and physiology And I ended up working in a lab for five years in Oxford. Really loved it. But what I realized really quickly was I loved group work. I loved talking. And a lot of them said to me, oh, you need to go and do sales and other things. So I explored sales for a while. And then I fell into corporate training. And one of the great things I enjoyed was back then, before I had the children, was traveling around the world and training groups of people. Now, when you're training groups of people, you have, you know, various you know, you've got people to having various things going on in their lives and people would be sent for training, not feeling great. And part of that, I was to start to incorporate some wellness stuff. I really love that. And then as, as you know, I moved into different jobs. And then I back in 2017, I chose to set up as a wellness professional. But prior to that, back in 2008, I qualified as a holistic therapist. Right. So I would say for a good Maybe 30 years, I've actually done a lot of wellness adjustments for myself because I came from Lancashire. I don't know if you can hear my accent. <laughs> uh, you know what's interesting? Up north, they say have a, I've got a posh accent. Oh, uh, y- they think you've lost <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> <laughs> and down south, they sound, say I sound like a southerner. But when I came down to London to study at university, I felt quite isolated mm. because it's a very different culture. So I started to find methods where I could feel better and
7: what sort of that's a really good yeah. point because
6: university
7: yeah. actually for many people and young people and i i think myself included it can be quite a vulnerable time you're away from home for an extended period of time probably for the first time yes and there's a lot of um ego there's a lot of big personalities you maybe aren't completely sure of your true authentic self at that point. And for a lot of people, it's a time of real emotional instability. So how was your
6: experience then? And what did you do about yeah. it? Yeah. So going back, I mean, even I remember pronouncing some of the words in London differently, like instead of saying Marleybone, I said Marleybone, I said, said Mary mm. And somebody laughed. I remember somebody laughing, thinking, oh, my goodness, I didn't pronounce that properly. But I think probably the biggest thing for me was, you know, the connection with other people, finding those connections. I remember one day feeling so lonely in this huge campus, you know, students. I mean, I was, what, 19 back then. All these students walking around, teachers walking around. And I felt like there was just me there. Mm. And I remember one of the older students who was in a year ahead of me. And actually, I think she was doing a PhD. And she looked at me, she goes, are you all right? And I was honest enough to say to her, I'm not all right. And remember, she gathered me up. She goes, listen, I live locally. Come have a cup of tea. And to this day, she didn't realize how much she helped me. I felt really a rock bottom. Mm. Because, you know, sometimes we don't feel great. And we don't know why we don't feel great. And she gathered me up and said, come with me. She gave me a cup of tea. And I sat there and I cried. And I think what had happened was... I didn't make any close connections at that point and I loved the degree I chose but it was quite isolating and for me the number one thing was to find a like-minded person Mm. to say to somebody actually I feel lonely Mm. I don't feel great and I think being able to share that uh was huge I think there's a lot in that Sam, because on both
7: sides really first of all being honest enough to tell somebody we we talk all the time it's on all the anything about mental health so speak out speak up but it it, it's incredibly difficult to do that because if you are feeling in a low place the, the little voice in your head says oh that's just another thing to say you're weak if you tell people which of course it isn't but you know you have to battle that demon but also the person who reached out to you you know just having noticed that you looked down what a difference that made
6: absolutely huge and and looking back I think yeah she was doing a PhD and then we got back in touch years later and I said to her she didn't she didn't even remember it and I said to her but it was such a pivotal part Mm. for me because if anybody asked me when did I feel lonely that's what comes to me because it was the feeling the pit in my stomach and what it was I was living in a hostel run by nuns and most of the girls there were from music college Mm. so I was going off to do science and coming from up north down south people were busy everybody had friends that they'd known for years and it was just you know it was big city from a small town and you know what our brains as teenagers don't start forming Mm. till our 20s um so there was a lot of things but yes absolutely carrie it was that thing about being brave and to say no i'm not all right mm. no i'm not all right mm. so yeah and that, that message is to say to people reach out let somebody know mm.
1: absolutely and if they
6: can't help you they can signpost you mm. would you say other than that
7: you've you've always generally been a happy person or have you known those sorts of darker times yeah. as well
6: no great question and I. Uh, Actually, it's only recently I've been sharing that when I was growing up, my father had mental health issues which weren't diagnosed at the time. And looking back, it was incredibly difficult. I mean, one minute we were all very happy family, and next minute, if I can say, he was having an episode. Mm -hmm. So I remember being told off for laughing, um, going, sit down and stop laughing, and holding that. And that's really helped me with my current work where I am helping uh, people from all backgrounds to be able to laugh more which is great for your mental health and physical health so when they say they can't laugh I get that I get that and then as we move on from that childhood there was um, you know when people say well how did you laugh to find you I mean so I had a week back about six seven years ago where in the same week Tuesday to Tuesday I had a phone call uh, from my sibling that my nephew age 10 had passed away on oh. un- very unexpectedly <gasps> unexpectedly and i remember i uh, they couldn't get through to me because of reception and i remember in getting the news and knowing that i had to get into the car in 20 minutes and to drive to school to pick my children up and in the same week um my manager at the time uh, called me in and said oh come with me and i thought oh, goodness i've done something wrong at work and i got led to another you know room and he said to me that the job was going to be made redundant it was moving abroad then the third thing was that I got a phone call from the school saying oh hi can, I, can we have a chat and I was going is the kids all right and normally they say yes they didn't say yes and I panicked and they said what's happened is as my son was stepping off the coach he tripped fell on his face he's got a concussion oh no. and that was two hours away and had a migraine And then alongside that, I was living in temporary accommodation. And at the same time, my son, who still has a blood condition, was having blood transfusion for his rare anemia every week. Oh, my goodness. All that was week within Tuesday to Tuesday. Now, the children were five and seven. And I thought, I'm mentally, physically and emotionally tired. But I need to keep it together. I put them to bed. It's about seven o'clock. And I thought, I haven't got the energy. But I looked and I internet searched um, a bit of comedy. But the comedy was too jarring for my mind. But what I did find was some babies gurgling, <laughs> around about four months old. And do you know what? I listened to their natural laughter and I felt a little bit better. Mm. So I did a bit more search and another video popped up and another video popped up and I perhaps maybe I watched for about 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And I felt so much better. Now, the next day I researched because I've got my background in science and I realized there was 50, 60 years of research into laughter wow. and laughter is used in pain clinics. It helps with mental health. It lowers blood pressure. It makes us feel better. And do you know what? Off I went. And I became a laughter yoga teacher. <laughs> so here I am with a background in science, worked as a scientist, and I've trained um, medical so- software in thirty countries. I laugh about this, right? I've been to, I've been to China, Japan, Korea—all these places. My flagship product is helping people to extend their laughter.
7: So Sam, laughter yoga—I'm imagining people in sort of downward dogs or. T- Tidy nods. <laughs> I have to say, I've done a lot of laughter when yeah. I've done yoga because I can't do certain poses. But yeah. what can you explain what it is and what Abs- happens absolutely. in your Absolutely.
6: So first thing is the word yoga refers to the healthy, hearty breath work. Right. So laughter yoga is about lengthening your laughter for more mental and physical health without no positions but extra breath work that comes from length and laughter. Right. Now, where it comes from is in, back in 93, 1993, um, in India, there's a lovely heart surgeon, and his name's Dr. Kataria, and he realized um, as well that there was lots of research about laughter. So he used to take groups of people into parks and lengthen their laughter with relaxation exercises, mm. so n- without jokes now his wife is a yoga teacher Mm. so they called it laughter yoga because what we realized is when we laugh a lot and we need to laugh about 10-15 minutes even 20 minutes to get all the benefits so in a laughter yoga class the goal is to increase your laughter for more health and as we're doing that we're using more of the big muscle uh, that helps with breathing which is the diaphragm all without jokes (laughs) how does that, yeah. how do you even
7: start that? I mean, that yeah. must be a, diff, that's a tall ask. You get a group yeah. of people in, yeah. probably all feeling a little bit uncomfortable because yeah. they don't know each other. Yeah. And they know, maybe they're even thinking, oh my gosh, there's a yeah. pressure on me to laugh yeah. now. H- how do Absolutely. you even start that? Absolutely.
6: So the thing is, the science behind this is that when we're together as a group, we laugh more because it's catching, it's a bit like a yawn. So coming together, the research shows that we are 30 times more likely to laugh playfulness comes in yeah. we're, we're looking at each other eye contact if mm. we're feeling safe with each other we're gonna laugh yeah if we don't feel safe with somebody we don't like somebody we don't laugh with them
0: mm. sam rehan chatting there to carrie overton you can hear the full interview on meridianfm.com by selecting listen again from the on-air menu for more information about sam's work and her laughter yoga sessions visit samrehan.com that's S-A-M dot com. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. It's been British Science Week over the last few days. On his Friday lunchtime show, Norman Wong spoke to scientist Phil Brandish about why the week is so important.
8: You know, we really need to raise awareness, uh, spark enthusiasm and, and celebrate the STEM topics, uh, science, technology, engineering and mathematics with, with people of all ages and all walks of life. I, I think making it accessible and so that young people will say that they can identify that with that, they can relate to that, they can say, yeah, I can see myself doing that. We really need that because uh, tech is the future and I think we all want the UK to continue to lead in that arena.
9: What qualities do you think will make a great scientist, Phil? Yeah, for me, I think the
8: the, the first thing is, is passion for learning, creativity, uh, solving problems, um, you know, asking lots of questions, even if you think you should know the answer. Uh, clearly, you know, working hard is is important. You know, that's true true for so many things. But you know, a, a really big part is perseverance. You know, chipping away at problems bit by bit, and you know, breaking big problems down into smaller, manageable ones. What got you inspired in science as a career, Phil? Yeah, I mean, actually, my my first passion was for for languages, including maths. So. Uh, I was I was really fortunate uh, in in secondary school. I I had a fantastic teacher made maths really come alive for me. But then later in secondary school, I really got into chemistry and physics and kind of was fascinated about how that uh, helps you understand and describe uh, you know how things work. And I also like the biology side too. So I went to Southampton University for my undergraduate, and I I chose there because they allowed you know, to, to pick a course, but then also mix and match um, with classes from, from, from different degrees. So you could, you know, kind of put your toe in different, in, in different waters, uh, you know, later in the university, it turned into biological research. And,
9: and, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Clearly, you're, you're British, and uh, you work for Bicycle Therapeutics in Boston, Massachusetts. So you have knowledge of science technologies, I would say, both sides of the Atlantic. But do you think UK could realistically become a science superpower?
8: Um yeah, I I absolutely do. You know, um and and you're right. So, you know, we we bicycle we have uh we have research labs both in here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but also uh the the base of the company, the home of the company is in in, in Cambridge just outside of Cambridge in the UK. You know, the, the UK is already a science and innovation powerhouse. It's it's second only to the US in the number of Nobel Prize winners. Um, so really, I think the the challenge is actually how to maintain and and build upon those strengths in the face of so much competition for our uh, attention and resources. You know, it, it starts with secondary school, of course, and you know events like British Science Week. But you know, moving on, the UK has an incredible concentration of outstanding universities. If you're interested in the, in the STEM subjects, you know, Norman, it's not it's not coincidence that people. Choose to come uh, from all over the world to study in the UK, uh, to study at universities in the UK. In fact, my oldest daughter is a first year at University of Edinburgh studying biological sciences, and she'll probably kill me if she hears this. But
9: <laughs> in the UK, we have STEM—you know, science, technology, engineering, or mathematics. We have STEM ambassadors. It's British Science—we're trying to do a little bit more than what STEM is uh, attempting to do. Um, I think so. I mean, uh, if your
8: if your listeners would go to britishscienceweek.org, dot org, you can see there's actually a load of resources there for both uh, events that that are happening around the country, um but also resources for you know how to promote science and how to introduce uh, young people to science and 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 the, you know sort of spark their curiosity. I think that's that's really the key. It's the sparking that curiosity and dispelling the myths that you know this is
9: something that only geeks do can you share with us what work you're currently focused on and how one day that might help patients
8: yeah absolutely love to so you know bicycle therapeutics what are bicycles? so they're 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 a special kind of chemical that we discover using our 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 platform technology um, and that we can then you know chemically synthesize in the lab so why are they called bicycles so that their molecular structure Includes two uh, loops, two loops of loops of atoms around a central scaffold. So they they are literally bicyclic, which means literally means just two circles together, and hence the name of the company, Bicycle Therapeutics. What the cool part though here, and and in the kind of the application of that technology, is it turns out the bicycles have properties in the body that make them potentially useful as as medicines, including for cancer. In a way that can be harder and possible to accomplish with either, you know, antibodies or traditional chemical drugs. Our job, my job at Bicycle, and that of of my colleagues, is to take the, that basic science and that concept and 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 turn that into a reality for patients.
9: I felt, I think you know in our short conversation, you've made a, a good case for why somebody should be interested in science as a career. But if somebody wanted to find out more, where, where should they go? Where, everybody goes to the website these days. don't look at encyclopedias anymore. So which websites would you suggest uh, any of our listeners should go to?
8: Yeah, so so I, I mentioned uh, BritishScienceWeek.org. Um, if people want to learn about about our company, uh, it's BicycleTherapeutics.com, just like it sounds. Pick a topic, pick a question, type it into Google, start reading. Um, choose sources carefully. And one One of my favorite places to go, though, is the Natural History Museum in London. I I think, you know, people can easily forget about museums and how how useful and they sound old and stuffy, but i got to tell you, I I get inspired every time I go there.
0: Phil Brandish talking there to Norman Wong. If you'd like to find out more about British Science Week, visit britishscienceweek.org. That's britishscienceweek.org. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on MeridianFM.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.